This is an All Ears English podcast, episode 256, Exaggerate or Understate, Three Key Differences Between American and British English. Welcome to the All Ears English podcast, where you'll finally get real native English conversation and fluency for business and life. We believe in connection, not perfection, when it comes to learning English. Now, here are your hosts, Lindsay McMahon, the English adventurer, and Michelle Kaplan, the New York radio girl, coming to you from Boston and New York City, USA. Today, you'll learn the three key differences between American and British English. And you'll find out why this matters for you in a job interview. Wondering about your fluency level? Take our simple English fluency quiz and find out if you're 50% fluent, 65% fluent, or 80% fluent. Plus, get ready for an exciting new course release coming up in early June. Learn from real English conversations so you can finally get competent. Take the quiz at allearsenglish.com slash fluency score. Hey guys, welcome to All Ears English. Our guest today is not only a CELTA certified English teacher, but he's also an award-winning travel guide editor and publisher. He's worked on titles and series such as Eyewitness Travel Guides and Top 10 Travel Guides, as well as Where to Go When and The Road Less Traveled. As an English teacher, our guest helps his students with business English, general conversation, and IELTS preparation. Our guest today is Douglas Amrine. Hey, Douglas. Welcome. How are you doing? Hey, Lindsay. Good to be here. Hey, thanks for joining us today. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. So it's interesting, Douglas, when, when we were talking before this interview, I was hearing a mix in your voice of a British accent and an American accent. How did you end up with that kind of accent? Well, I was born in the States, in Washington, D.C., and I lived there until I was about 18. And then I went to Europe to study, and after my studies, I went to live in England, in London. And I worked in London as a journalist and a book publisher and editor for about 25 years. So my wow. life is kind of half and half American and British. And my Isn't accent also seems to, be, seems to be somewhere right in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. It does. It's so funny. It's very unique. I haven't heard too many people who have that really interesting near 50-50 blend of the British and the American accent. So you have a really unique perspective then to offer us today, Douglas. And you told me that you were going to let our audience know today the three key differences between British and American English. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I've got three aspects that I think every student needs to bear in mind as they study English. Okay, well then, in that case, let's just jump into it, because I have a feeling this is going to be an interesting episode. I would love to hear what that first key difference is between British and American English. So what is it? I think the most obvious one is the accent. So people talk about an American accent and a British accent, but in reality, each of these countries, say the U.S. and the U.K., has a lot of different regional accents. Just right. within London, 
which is a population of about 13 million people, there are at least four or five local accents. The most, oh, is that right? Yeah, the Interesting. Most, the most famous London accent is Cockney, which is a working class accent from East London. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. No, that's very true. That's a really good point, Douglas, that, you know, as also in the U.S., you know, what's the difference between a Texan accent and a, a Brooklyn accent? Huge difference there, right? So we, we really can't say, you know, American accent and British accent. It's interesting to know, though, that there are four different accents just within London. Yeah, it's incredible. But, you know, there's one tip that I give all students. If you're just wondering if the speaker you're listening to is American or British, there are a couple of consonants that you should listen out for. Okay, what are those? Listen out for the T's and the R's. The T's and the R's. So what about the T's are unique? What, what's that? Well, when there's a T in between two vowels, Americans often pronounce this T like a D. So they yeah. might say, what a nice day. What a, what a nice right. day. Yeah, that's a great one. That's something that we've talked about on previous episodes, and that's a really telltale sign that you're talking with an American person and not a British person, right? Yeah. Okay. And the R's are also a lot stronger in American English. Hmm. And there's one word that shows off these two consonants really, really well. Okay, what's that word? Better. So American English, better. And British English, better. Oh, yeah, that's a great example. That's a great example. So if we want to know if we're speaking with an American person or a British person, we just want to elicit that word. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Oh, that's fantastic. Can you say it one more time with the American accent? Okay, better. Mm -hmm. Better, right? Better. Yeah. Yeah. And with, yeah, like, so we've got the T as the D sound, better. And we've got the er, the very hard R sound. Okay. And then in British English, better. So these ERs, which are so common on the ends of English words, in British English is always pronounced ah, or the schwa sound, better. Mm, Right, right. And with the American accent, it's er, it's very, the lips are tight, right? It's the er sound, very hard R sound. Oh, wow. That's a perfect example. Do you know any other words where we could instantly tell if we're speaking with an American or a British word that would have those two consonants together? Oh, gosh, that's a tricky one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, well, there's butter as well. Better and I guess butter. Better, butter, bitter, too, <laughs> yeah, right? right. <laughs> bitter. <laughs> so a few variations there. Very cool. Okay. So the accent is the key difference, right? That's number one. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to mention regarding the accent differences? Well, you know, I would just say as an English student, you know, you might think, well, gosh, what should I do? You know, and I think the point is that English is now a world language. And you might be speaking English for people with people from the States, from Canada, from the UK, from Ireland, from Australia, from South Africa. But you might Mm -hmm. also be speaking English with people from Japan, from China, from India, from South America. It's a world language. And at the end of the day, the point is to communicate well. Absolutely. So so you're saying that we shouldn't get so wrapped up in different accents or different dialects. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Obviously, there's some decisions you have to make. So American English, tomato. British English, tomato. Now you just have to decide which one. And work with your teacher and say, I want to aim more towards American English, or I want to aim more towards British English. Right. Sort of make a choice, but then don't think about it after that. That's right, yeah. 
I like that. Yeah, here at Allers English, you know, one of our really the way we believe our belief about language learning is connection, not perfection. So we believe in connecting with people and not perfecting grammar, not perfecting the accent. And I think that that really goes along with what you're saying here. Yeah, that's a great philosophy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, very cool. So the accent is one key difference. What's the second key difference, Douglas, between the British English and American English? I think the second most important one is definitely vocabulary. Now, fortunately, there're not a huge number of words which are completely different in the UK and the US, but there are some really important ones. Okay, what are those important ones that we need to know? For example, elevator. So, in a tall building in the states, you take the elevator to get to the 10th floor. Right? Not in the UK, you take the lift. Oh, good one. Good one. Yeah. <laughs> That's very true. We don't here in the US, we don't use the word lift. We do understand it, right? From the movies, if we've seen a British movie or something, but we don't use that word lift. Yeah, good one. Okay, what else? Another one is sidewalk. So, in America, the sidewalk is where the pedestrians walk. It's next <laughs> to the pavement where the cars and buses are. Mhm. But in England, people say they walk on the pavement. But when they say pavement, they mean sidewalk in America. <laughs> oh, no. Is that confusing or what? Uh, well, that sounds like it could potentially be very dangerous to me. <laughs> okay, so just that fact and also the fact that we drive on do we drive on a different side of the road and a different side of the car in England and the yeah, US or is it the same? That oh my too. god. Okay, I can see a recipe for disaster here. <laughs> <laughs> for pedestrians and drivers. Okay, guys, so you want to pay attention to this one. So in the US, the sidewalk is the space that's on the side of the road, the safe part of the road, right? And the pavement is where the cars drive generally. And in England? In England it's the in England where the pedestrians walk is called the pavement. And where people drive or the cars and buses and everything, they go on the road. Okay. <laughs> Oh, so funny. I love this. I love this. What's what's another one? Do you have one more, one or two other vocabulary differences? Yeah. There are a lot of words that are different in terms of foods, and my favorite one, the most confusing one, is chips. So, yeah. potato chips. So, in America, chips are something you buy in the supermarket and they come in a sealed bag. Right. Right. Crunchy, right? <laughs> yeah, really crunchy. They're good ones. <laughs> And in England, of course, they have fish and chips. And what they mean by fish and chips is a piece of fish which has been fried, and the chips are what Americans call French fries. Absolutely, absolutely. So in England, the the, the fried potatoes are just called French fry. What? what so so in, or, in or England, chips. they're okay. called chips. Right. They're yeah, called the fried chips. Fried potatoes. Okay. So in America. And you eat your burger with fries if you go to a fast food <laughs> joint. Right. But in England if you go to a fast food joint you eat your burger with chips and they have their national dish is fish and chips which is uh, fried fish with what Americans call french fries. Okay. Did you start to like uh fish and chips while you were over there? Do you do you have a taste for that or not so much? You know, I do, but some things never change from when you're a kid, you know, and taste is one of them. And in England, with their chips or their french fries, they put vinegar on them, and I just can't do that. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I prefer ketchup personally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My fries. Yeah. 
So that then remains of, well, what do you call a bag of chips in the American sense in England? So they eat those yeah. as well. You go to the supermarket and you call them crisps. Right, crisps. Oh, goodness, confusing. Oh, gosh. Okay, this is this is really key information. We need to know this because otherwise we're going to go hungry, right? <laughs> this is important. <laughs> okay, well, do you happen to have one more? Um, well, with foods, you know, there are, there are other ones like um, in the States, they have a vegetable called zucchini. Mm-hmm. And it looks a bit like a cucumber, doesn't it? It's dark green. Right. And... Zucchini kind of sounds like an Italian word, and it is an Italian word. Hmm. But in England, they use the French word for this vegetable, and they call it a courgette. Oh, I would have no idea what that is if I went to England. Wow, courgette? That's right. Interesting. Okay, that's a good one, because that's kind of obscure that I never would have would have thought of, and that's one you often don't see kind of written out when we compare English and uh, British and American English. So that's a good one. So if you guys have a taste for what we call zucchini in the U.S., look for courgette if you're in London yeah. or in, in, uh, in England. Okay, well, let's skip ahead to number three, the third key difference between British English and American English. What is it, Douglas? Well, this one is a little bit hard to explain, but what I call it is temperature. And there's a word that people use in England to describe how they speak, and they talk about understatement. So understatement is when you describe something as being smaller or less impressive or less wonderful than it really is. Yeah. Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, You don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. I'm going to have to have you come back on the show again to talk about this one specifically, Douglas, because I think this is really interesting. So let's give an example of understatement in the British sense. What is that? Can you give us a more tangible, concrete example? Yeah. Let's say two people go to see a movie. Mm -hmm. Let's say an American guy and let's say an English woman. And they sit there and they watch this movie and they both think, hmm, really good, really enjoyed it. They both are completely in agreement with each other about how good this movie is. Right. And afterwards, you run into them on the street and you say to the American, well, how was the movie? And he says, that movie was awesome. It was fabulous. It was incredible. (laughs) Right. And you say to the English woman, well, what did you think? And she'll say, I thought it was rather good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is great. And this is so true because I know here on this show, you know, we focus our co-hosts where we are American and, you know, we really use that word awesome all the time. 
Awesome. Very cool. Fantastic. Oh, that's great. You know, we really do like to exaggerate, whereas in British English, they like to kind of understate, as you're saying, right? Yeah. And these two words are opposites, aren't they? Exaggeration and understatement. They are opposites. Isn't that fantastic? So you could be thinking this, you know, on a scale of one to ten, you could both be rating the movie as an eight, but you would really articulate your feelings about the movie very differently. That's right. Yeah. So what's the takeaway here for this one for our listeners then? I mean, is it just that they should keep this in mind and understand that uh, we might be thinking the same thing, but expressing it differently? Yeah. So you really need to bear this in mind. For example, in a business context, if you're in a job interview with a British company, of course, you want to come across in a positive way. Of course, you need to let them know about your achievements and about your particular skills and experience and so on. But you need to make sure you use somewhat moderate language. Don't exaggerate. Don't use really strong adjectives because that's mm -hmm. not what they like to hear. And that can come across as being a bit arrogant or boastful. And they might mm -hmm. think, well, mm, maybe he's really good, but is he really the kind of person that we would get along with well? That's interesting. I love that because here, you know, from the American perspective, if you go into an interview here, and we've, we've had um, a few people on the show a couple of times to talk about American interviews and how to crack the interview, right? And some of the things that they've shared with us is the importance of showing enthusiasm. It's hugely important here, right? So obviously, you're not going to jump on the person's desk and start screaming. <laughs> but, but really showing that, you know, the importance of smiling, you know, eye contact with the, with the interviewer and just showing how much you want the job. So I guess the recommendation could be then if you're preparing for an interview in, in England, you would wa probably want an English teacher who's from England to help you prepare. Could we go that far to say that? I think that would be a really good idea, to be honest. Yeah, especially, especially in the business space. Yeah. And vice versa. You know, so if you have been studying with a British teacher and studying English with a British teacher and there's a big job that you're trying to get in the States then, you know, you might think, well, let me get some coaching from someone who prepares people for job interviews in the States because it is going to be different. Yeah, and I think this is especially important, Douglas, because, you know, a lot of times job decisions that are made, hiring decisions are made based on a gut feeling of the interviewer. It's not always, you know, if you match up in a similar way to the other candidates, you know, experience, qualifications, test scores, in the end, it comes down to the gut feeling of the person who interviewed you. And if the way you're expressing your interest in the job goes against what they feel should um, is kind of normal to them, then they're probably not going to choose you. They're going to choose the other person. Isn't that true? Yeah, I, I definitely think that's true. Oh, that's fascinating. Wow. Yes. As I said, Douglas, we're going to have to have you back on the show to talk about this again and Maybe we can get some more actionable tips on this topic itself. But for now, I think we're running out of time. So let's wrap it up here. So just to recap what I've heard today, you've told us that the three key differences between American and British English are the accent, some vocabulary word, and the temperature, meaning the enthusiasm with which that we use to express, you know, that level of enthusiasm, our feelings, right? Okay, awesome. Thank you for that, Douglas. And so you are also a teacher on italki, is that right? Yes, yeah. 
I have a lot okay. of italki students, and I love italki. It's a really great site. Good. And what do you specialize in? Like, what can you offer our listeners? What would they want to come to you for in preparation for, for what kind of thing? Well, uh, at the moment, I'm giving people a lot of help with IELTS and mm-hmm. uh, especially with the speaking and writing parts of IELTS, which people find really tricky and, and need help with. And I'm also okay. helping people with personal statements who want to study abroad, like there's the UCAS personal statement and some of the other universities have their own form of that. So that's a written statement, and you really need to present yourself in the right way to a university. So I enjoy helping people with that. And I'm teaching business English as well, and I really enjoy it because I worked for a big company for a long time. Okay, so you have that real-world business skill to kind of add to the lessons. I like that. I like that. Okay, so guys, if you're interested in working with Douglas to work on your IELTS preparation or work on your personal statement or just some business English lessons, this would be a great place to go. So. In order to work with Douglas, guys, you want to go first to allearsenglish.com slash italki, and you want to register on that page. You want to register there so that you can get the special $10 off your second lesson with Douglas. After you've gone through that registration page, allearsenglish.com slash italki, you can go and search for Douglas's uh, URL. And so what is that URL, Douglas? Okay. It's easy. It's italki.com slash Douglas. And Douglas is D-O-U-G-L-A-S. Good. And you'll go on there and you'll see all the awesome reviews. I was on there. I noticed you have some great reviews, Douglas, from your, your former students. So it sounds like you have some great classes to offer here. Yeah, I enjoy it. And I've had some fantastic students. You meet such wonderful people on Italki from all over the world. And I really enjoy that. Yeah, it's such a cool place. So guys, it's easy to book a class online with Douglas by going to allearsenglish.com slash italki, register, get your $10 off, and then go ahead and find Douglas and get started because it's 2015. It's time to push for our English skills this year, right? Okay, awesome. Well, Douglas, thank you for joining us. I'm really inspired by these differences. I think it's a fascinating topic, and we're going to have to have you on the show again at some point in the future. So thank you. Great. You're welcome. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, take care, Douglas. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to All Ears English. And if you believe in connection, not perfection, follow our show wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you don't miss anything. See you next time.